0: turn to Luke chapter 24. Sure, you won't be surprised that this message this morning happens to be a message on the resurrection. <laughs> I'm going to read this section of scripture to you, and it's going to be a bit long, but bear with me, because the reading of God's word does, works in us, and it is important for us to hear God's word. And so let's, let's just enjoy encountering God. Luke chapter 24, and we'll begin with verse 1. <clears throat> but on the first day of the week, at the early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. they did not see. And he said to them, "O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. of the bread oh father these are words of life these are words that once again recount the history of our savior how he suffered how he died at the hands of sinful men but how he is risen indeed indeed Lord, may these words this morning, may this passage this morning confront all of us. And may we encounter you as we are once again face to face with the truth of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, may everyone have hearts to hear this morning. Lord, may you help me to serve these people that I Love so dearly, in Jesus' name, amen. The resurrection. Each year, Christians gather around the world together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the history, we celebrate a true story about Jesus who did not remain in the tomb. What we've sung about this morning, that after his death on the cross, he rose again. But there are detractors. There are detractors who do not believe in the resurrection. They have many different theories. There's the stolen body theory. There's the hallucination theory. There's even one called the swoon theory, where Jesus swooned and fainted, and nobody knew that he was really alive, and they assumed he was dead, and then he went into the tomb, and the coolness of the tomb awakened him after being crucified. (laughs) But Jesus really did die. In Luke twenty three, forty-six, Luke attests to this. He says, Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, Luke writes, He breathed his last. He was dead. In the nineteen sixties, and those of you who are probably older than fifty would remember this. In the 1960s, Art Linkletter hosted a TV show called Kids Say the Darndest Things. And they, just he would interview children, and the things they would say would be absolutely hilarious. And he relates a story about a seven-year-old boy whose dog had died. And to make the teary-eyed boy feel better, Art said, don't be sad because your dog is up in heaven with God. And the boy thought for this about a second, just contemplating and then said, "Mr. Linkletter, what would God want with a dead dog?" <laughs> <laughs> For all living things, death is final. Our bodies do not go on, but unlike the young boy's dog, Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus did not remain in the grave. He was alive and he rose from the grave and he appeared to his disciples and more than 500 other people. Daryl Bach says in his commentary on Luke, he says, We are dealing here, speaking of the resurrection, with sacred events. The Christian faith must be inexorably tied to the resurrection. Without resurrection, Christianity is just another human approach to reach God. It is emptied of transforming power and hope. It is a mere shell, not worth the energy one devotes to it. Without a resurrected Jesus, Christianity has nothing to offer the world. For a dead Savior is no Savior at all. A resurrected Savior who cares and who fulfills God's promises is the unique hope that the Christian faith offers to the world. Now let's look at the story, because this is a great story. And Luke is a wonderful storyteller. In verses 1 through 3, the women of, who are following Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, and other women are following him. The women go to the tomb to complete the ceremonial responsibilities of anointing Jesus with spices but on the first day of the week at the early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, they are on their way. The women are discussing, how are we going to get this stone rolled away from the tomb? And in Luke, Luke doesn't bother with that detail. So when they arrive, the stone is already rolled away. While they were perplexed about this... Behold, in verse 4, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Here in Luke, they arrive, the stone is rolled away, and then all of a sudden they encounter something they hadn't anticipated. They're looking for a dead body, and that's not what they find. Michael Wilcox, in his commentary, states, they are perplexed by what they do not see, and they are frightened by what they do see. Because as they encountered these angels, it says they were frightened and bowed their faces to the floor. And, the, and what, is, what is unique is that, this is how I, I don't know how people can come up with, they stole the body. Because Luke writes here, as do the others in the other, in the other gospels, he writes here, but the, the grave clothes were still there. So why would they steal the body and leave the clothes? Exactly how they are. It's just, that is a hallucination theory, if you ask me. So the the women are wondering what's happened here. And Jesus Jesus had told them he would rise, but but they don't remember that. They, they They don't quite get it. When they went to the tomb, when they were looking for the Savior... And they looked in and they saw him gone. The words that he had spoken were not remembered. They were not remembered. The doubt that they had still remained. And it wasn't until the angels speak up and they say in verse number five, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. The the angels are reminding them of the words that Jesus spoke. The angels have a purpose. God kindly sends these angels to encourage, but also, and and this is somewhat of a mild rebuke. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Don't you remember? But the women, understandably, they're they're just amazed at these angels. I mean, any angel stories in the room? When was the last time you got up, saw an angel? Yeah, I mean, it's just, think about what they're encountering here. They're going to a gravesite. Now, I've done enough funerals. Not once. I'm 60 years old. No angels ever. No tombs ever. I mean, just where are they? And yet here in this monumental story is, is this experience with these women who go and, and their, their Savior is dead to them. He has died. Everything they had hoped for was over. Everything they had trusted in. Everything they had believed would happen was all gone. No longer. But now, verses 8 through 12, we see, and they remembered his words. The light goes on. The angels remind them about the word that was spoken by Jesus. How Wonderful for us to have the words remind us about Jesus. And so this word is spoken and they remember and they return to the disciples with great excitement. They come running back. We have seen angels. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And the disciples respond simply by saying, what? You saw what? seriously and the disciples but these words in verse 11 seemed to them an idle tale but it was more it says they did not believe and they did not believe them now peter being peter the impetuous and the guy who would never forsake jesus he gets up and he runs to the tomb. And his curiosity being stirred, he runs and he and he looks. And, and I love the way it describes Peter. He's he runs to the tomb. Now in in uh, in John's gospel, you it. Luke doesn't record John being here, but it's not contradictory. It's just complementary that each, each gospel provides you a different viewpoint. But in John's gospel, John and Peter run to the tomb. And it says, and John says, and basically, I got there first. So, so Peter's not the fastest runner. John's a bit better. But, but Peter gets there. And I love what Peter does. Peter doesn't run into the tomb. The stone's rolled away. Peter stops outside the door and goes, Huh? <laughs> he stoops and he looks inside, because he's incredulous. He's he's just wondering, Are, is it true? Is it true? And so he looks. He stoops and he looks in, and he sees the linen cloths by themselves. And then he goes home, marveling at what had happened. Now, the marveling isn't necessarily believing. It's just marveling. He's just dumbfounded by what he sees. What an intriguing story that Luke tells here. And after hearing the women's reports, you know... They're they're still not believing. They're, they they believe that it's idle talk. Peter Peter doesn't say where he went afterwards, but all we know is that the disciples did not believe it. So then Luke continues the story. Look in verse thirteen. So think about this. They they were all together. They were they were waiting for something to happen. It did happen, but they didn't believe it, and so they start to scatter to to the disciples head back to Emmaus, because they're in Jerusalem, and they head back to Emmaus. And that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. So it was that day. So early in the morning, they go see, the tomb is empty, and basically nobody believes it. So let's, what do we do next? Let's just go home. Let's just go home. I, let's eat something. This it just didn't work out. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So obviously they probably were discussing a little bit about what the women had told them. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. So Jesus suddenly just shows up on the scene. I wish I was there. That would have been so... I would have been like these guys. I wouldn't have believed it. And I wouldn't have recognized them as well. It's not like I would know, but just to think back, like it was him. That would have been so cool. You know, put it in your autograph book. I I got Jesus's autograph. And he said to them, "What, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And then I love this part. And they stood still. You know, they're walking along. They're having this conversation. This third guy shows up and says, so wh- what are you talking about? What's happened? And they, like, they stop. It's like, you've got to be kidding. Are you serious? Are you the only one in all of Jerusalem? I mean, this, is, this was the Passover. Jerusalem was four times the normal size because it was the Passover. And they're saying, are you the only one who doesn't know what has happened? Are you the only one who doesn't know? And I think, I don't want to read into this, but I think they were probably a bit irritated with him. Seriously. I don't think we've met anybody that dumb or that ignorant. What? what where were you? What were you doing that you wouldn't know about these things? And so it's... And so they stood still. And here's another wonderful description by Peter. You've got, I mean by Luke, you've got Peter marveling. You've got the women amazed. And now you have these two disciples looking sad. They're looking sad. And rightly so. Because what they believe is that Jesus has not risen from the dead. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus drew near. And he asked them, you know, What are you talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor who does not know what have happened? And Jesus says, What things? And they said, Well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And then then they describe for us what we would describe as the gospel. Jesus, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him and then they go on but we had hoped we had hoped we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel yes and besides all this it is now the third day see it's 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 been 3 days we had hoped it's why we're sad it's over it's all over They just don't know what to do. But Jesus responds. He says, O foolish one, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then this is, this had to have been, verse 27, the best, world's best Bible study that ever took place. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I've been to some good Bible studies, but this would have been the best. And later on, they do see Jesus breaks bread, and that breaking of bread isn't reminiscent of the Last Supper. That breaking of bread really, in their minds, goes back to the breaking of the bread when he fed the 5,000. And they see, and it was at that moment that their eyes are opened. Jesus is alive to them. Now, in C.S. Lewis's classical work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Edmund, the brother of Peter and Susan and Lucy, betrays his family to the evil white witch. And Aslan the lion, who represents Jesus Christ in the story, must pay the ultimate sacrifice to redeem Edmund from his sinful betrayal. And so Aslan must be put to death on a stone table so that, so that he can redeem Edmund. And it is a terrifying And horrific death, so terrifying and so horrific that as Susan and Lucy are hiding in the bushes, they turn away because they cannot watch as Aslan is put to death, as he is tied down, as all his hair is torn out, as he is beaten, and as he dies. After the executioners leave. Susan and Lucy make their way to Aslan. And he who lies dead on the stone table. And he has suffered horribly. And he is looking horribly. And he is bound by ropes. And he is muzzled. And by now it's early morning. And they're both weeping. As they they gaze upon Aslan. And knowing not what else to do. They begin to untie all his bonds. It's. After that, they're just gazing upon him some more and it starts to get cold. So they get up and they begin to walk around just to get rid of the morning chill. And as they're walking around, they hear this terrific noise, this cracking like of a giant plate. And, it's, and they turn around and they see Aslan standing before them, totally restored. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him almost as much frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dead then, dear Aslan? asked Lucy. Not now, said Aslan. You're not, not, asked Susan in a shaky voice. She couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her forehead. The warmth of his breath and a rich sort of smell that seemed to hang about his hair came over all of her. Do I look it, he said. Oh, you're real, you're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy, and both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does it all mean, asked Susan. But what does it all mean? And that's the question today about the resurrection. What does it all mean? Luke tells these amazing stories of the resurrection and what it meant to the disciples. But what does it mean to you today? What does it all mean? The reality of the resurrection means God gives eternal life to all who believe in Christ. That's what the reality of the resurrection means. The reality of the resurrection means God gives eternal life to all who believe in Christ. What does it all mean? It means there is good news for you because of the resurrection. It means that there is wonderful news. Three times in this passage the gospel is alluded to. The angels talk about him being crucified by sinful men and rising from the dead. And then the, the the uh, two disciples on the road talk about the, the crucifixion and Jesus. And then Jesus himself talks about having to suffer and come back in glory. It means that the resurrection is the good news that Christ has risen from the get. And the good news looks like this. Three points this morning for you. The good news looks like this. It means there is hope for those of you who do not believe in Christ. If you are sitting here this morning as a non-believer in Jesus Christ, you're not sure if you have believed in Christ. You're not sure. You have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. It means that there is hope for you, even though you do not believe. Because you can. You have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. It means also there is hope for those who doubt Men and women, we saw reading this passage who doubt, and it means there is hope for those of you who believe. There's something for us. The resurrection, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who've put our faith in Him, the resurrection is not just a past event, it's a present reality. It's a present event for us. It means something for us today. So, number one, the resurrection means there is hope for those of you who do not believe in Christ. What, what brought Jesus to the cross? What brought him to the cross? John Stott says, says this, number one, your sin. Your sin brought him to the cross. Sin that is extremely horrible. Nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. What sent Jesus to the cross is our sin, our our greed, our envy, our, our lust, our lying, our hatred, and many other sins, our rebellion against God, our unbelief, our idolatry, all this, our sin brought Jesus to the cross. I'll tell you what else brought Jesus to the cross. His love. His love. God's love is wonderful beyond comprehension. God God could have easily abandoned us to our fate. He could have easily let us experience the punishment for our sin. Aslan took Edmund's punishment. Christ took our punishment. It was his love that brought him to the cross to bear our sins. That is love. And then his promise brought him to the cross. God promised the free gift of salvation to all who would believe in him. And that salvation was won on the cross by his death and then his resurrection. And God, as a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God, kept his promise. The price that we are required to pay, you are required to pay is far beyond your ability to pay. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ this morning, you are going to be responsible to answer to God, to give an account for your life to God on that last and final day, the day of judgment, the day that we will all face. There is not one person in this room, in this world, who will not face the ultimate and final accounting Because we will all die. We will all die. The good news for those of you who do not believe is that Jesus is alive. For those of you who do not believe, the good news is that in Christ you can have eternal life. The good news is that if you put your faith in him, if you seek him, if you come to him for forgiveness, you will find him and he will forgive you. That is the good news. That is what hope the resurrection gives to those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. The bad news exists. The bad news. The good news is good because there's bad news. The good news is that Christ is alive. The bad news is you will die. The bad news is you will die. And if when you die, you do not know Christ. The news gets worse. And it's eternal. If you want to experience both new life and eternal life, life today, the response is to put your faith in Christ. God is faithful. It is out of... Love that He went to the cross it because of our sin, but He is faithful and He forgives all sin. Mary Magdalene was an adulteress who was of the worst kind and yet she was forgiven. She runs to the tomb and sees an empty tomb. Peter denied the Savior three times and yet God forgives him. There is hope for those of you who do not believe. That's what the resurrection brings. The resurrection also means there's hope for those of you who doubt. This passage is a story about many who doubted and were transformed by the risen Christ to become passionate believers. The women who came to the tomb did not believe he had risen. We, we read that story. They, they looked and they saw they couldn't find his body, but they still did not believe. They were doubting. The disciples doubted. They didn't believe the women's story. It was just idle chatter. Peter marveled but still doubted. Even when Jesus appeared among them, they were still doubting. Cleopas and his friend still doubted. Thomas was doubting. There's no better news for sad, distressed, despondent, despairing people than this Christ lives. There's no better news than that. Even today, those of you who struggle with challenges of suffering and trial and pain and heartache and fear. And there are times when you doubt the goodness of God. There are times when you doubt God's presence even. That God is so faithful and so kind. Look Look what he, he does in, he calls them In verse 25, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. He doesn't call them hard-hearted, which he did towards the Pharisees and others. He just calls them slow of heart. Jesus is so patient. He is so patient with these people. And that is such good news because Jesus is patient with you this morning. He's patient with me this morning. He is so patient. The resurrection means, thirdly, that there is hope for those who believe. That as believer, as those who are Christians, what wonderful news this is as a saint of God. Not only does Jesus live, but he lives as the head of his church. He lives as the director, the leader of his church, the head of the body of Christ. And he promises to never leave us. He promises to always be with us, to empower us. God is faithful to us. He promises that one day he's going to return. These are all the promises as a a Christian. What gets you up in the morning? What gives you hope each day? It's that Christ is alive. What does God want with a dead savior? We don't have a dead savior. Thinking about the resurrection should strengthen your souls and should nourish your hearts. It should bring excitement to you regularly. And the question is, does it? Does the resurrection, you know, we as pastors, we preach on the resurrection Easter. Every Easter, you get a resurrection message. You expect a resurrection message. You get a resurrection message. And you go home thinking about the resurrection. And then you've got 364 other days of the year, and you don't necessarily get a resurrection message. You're going to get one again. Because as we're going through John's gospel, at the end of John's gospel, guess what happens? Yeah, he rises again. On all the Gospels, it keeps happening. (laughs) The resurrection isn't a one time event. One reason alone it's not a one time event is that when you die, when you physically die, on that day, you'll rise. You're going to rise again. You're not going to stay dead. You're not going to be like the dog. And no, I don't know if dogs will be in heaven. And I don't care. I I can tell you there will be no cats in heaven. (laughs) Absolutely no cats. If I've offended anybody, too bad. You'll just have to wait. We'll both learn on that day. And you know what? On that day, I won't care. It won't matter to me. If there's a cat, that will matter to me. But if there's a dog, it won't matter to me. The resurrection, the resurrection should impact and influence and inform your days, day in and day out. You wake up in the morning breathing. Because God sustains you. Why? Because God is alive. He did not stay dead. You show up on a Sunday and great worship. The, the lead, guys who lead and the, the ladies who sing and, and the instruments that are played. I mean, you are excited and it, and it infuses life into you. That's because we have a Savior who lives. You don't come in here trying to gin it up trying to get excited you come in because he's alive i watched kentucky lose last night amen yes i watched wisconsin beat kentucky which now wisconsin will beat duke because we want duke to lose and uh, i will and i watched i watched thousands upon thousands of fans in lucas oil stadium in indianapolis just cheering. And I saw Kentucky fans just crying. And, and you just see the emotion that is, is happening at a basketball game. Brothers and sisters, being here today is so much more. That, that basketball game has no eternal value. That basketball game will live on with some. They'll wear their national champion t-shirts for a while. They'll wear their hats for a while. But you know what? It happens again next year. There's only one resurrection. It only happened once. And now it will happen for us because he is alive. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, tells of a well-respected British pastor who was once preparing his Easter sermon. So he's in his study. He's studying for the very thing that I am doing this morning. And he, he states this. He says, The thought of the risen Lord broke in upon him as it had never done before. So here is this pastor preparing, and suddenly the idea of the resurrection kind of breaks in upon him like a wave. Christ is alive, I said to myself. Alive. And then I paused. Alive. And then I paused again. Alive. Can that really be true? I got up and walked, repeating Christ is living. Christ is living. It was, to me, a new discovery. I thought all along I had believed it, but not until that moment did I feel sure about it and then said, my people shall know it i shall preach about it again and again and till they believe it as i do now and i want you to believe the resurrection as i do now i didn't have this moment in my study because i do believe the resurrection but as i study i come to believe in the resurrection even more it excites me even more and i don't want to be excited just today yeah i wore a tie today i had to I'm the pastor. (laughs) You'll see it. Well, you won't if you die at your funeral. But I will be wearing a tie at your funeral. (laughs) I promise. But I want the resurrection. I want it to be something that fills your soul, fills your mind with this truth when I wake up in the morning and I make noises I didn't make when I was 25 and I groan and I have pains in places I did not know I could have pain and my body is deteriorating, which it is, when I wake up in the morning, I, I don't want to think about the moment because I'm on the back nine of life. You get that, right? I mean, at 60, that's the back nine. I, I'm hoping I'm coming up 13, but that's the back nine. And, and, and I, I think about death more than I've ever thought about death. And what gives me peace, what gives me peace is to know Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead. I have a book I have a book that lists all of the last words of people who have died, both believers and unbelievers. And it is eye-opening. I love, I love what D.L. Moody said on his deathbed. They asked him how he was doing, and he just said, almost well and almost home. Ah, that's how I want to die. I'm not going to die yet, honey. You don't have to cry. (laughs) My wife is crying here. I'm I'm not planning on it. Now later in his commentary, Hughes encourages believers in this way. He says a living Christ is an all-powerful Christ in your life. A living Christ is an all-powerful life Christ in your life. A living Christ is an ever-present Christ in your life. A living Christ is a Christ who gives you life now. Not just eternal life, but abundant life now. John 10.10, 10, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. A living Christ is a Christ who gives you life in eternity. And a living Christ is a Christ who gives you victory. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Listen, it's Easter. It's the resurrection. The power of sin and death are defeated. The power of God's love has triumphed. The promise of a glorious future is assured. So what's the application to the resurrection There's only one application to this historic event. There's only one. Believe. Believe. Don't put your faith and belief in the resurrection event, but in the one who rose from the dead. Our relationship with God is personal. It's not with an event. We celebrate the birth of the Savior, we celebrate the resurrection of the Savior to believe that Jesus lives is to believe that you can have a relationship with God. It means you can know God. Do you get that these these believers, these new testament disciples they they lived a world in a world that God was only met in a building called a temple with a massive curtain that separated them from the presence of God because of the sin of Adam and Eve and all of humanity has separated us. And Jesus came and lived a sinless life, died a horrific death on a cross and rose again so that you could be friends with God god if you are not friends with god this morning my appeal to you is believe repent and believe come to him for forgiveness of sins and put your faith in his work on the cross